Welcome to GradCast. I'm Callum. I'm Krishna. All the do's and don'ts of being a grad. This time, it's a bonus episode of GradCast. As workplaces pack up after Are You OK Day, more on getting into the right headspace at work. So I do think it's really important to have that opportunity, if you can, to make some friends that are outside of the bubble. If everything's tied to work, I found that when work could be a bit um, challenging or something was going on at work, having people that are outside of that to be able to talk to about it, a really kind of freeing and, and helpful thing and a necessary thing to have. And being ready to ask the are you okay question and prepared for what might come next. It's really important to be mindful that it can take time to build up trust uh, and to create that sort of environment where someone's going to feel comfortable talking to you and they don't have to talk to you. You know, as long as they're talking to someone, that's what really matters. Gradcast, going beyond Are You OK Day. Here's Krishna and Callum. Hello and welcome back to Gradcast. In this episode, we're going to be doing a special episode talking about mental health and well-being for APS graduates. Krishna, mental health uh, and well-being is a really important topic. Um, yeah, why do you think, uh, why are you excited to have these conversations about that topic today? Always excited and especially from a grad perspective, grad programs are a lot. The fact that we have an entire podcast around grad programs goes to show how, how important and, and exhausting they can be. And yeah, I just think that the whole journey of a grad, whether you're based in the city you do your program or you move and you uproot your life and you start from scratch and you're on this whirlwind adventure, I didn't pronounce whirlwind correctly, I guess, yeah, whatever, adventure of uh, making new friends and doing all your rotations, it can get a bit much sometimes for, for any grad, even if you are the top of your batch. And so it's important to start implementing those well-being practices early on because they stay with you for life, I think. Yeah, it certainly is a, a time of transition and yeah, I guess can be uh, a time which uh, a lot of graduates may find difficult. So yeah, I think it would be really good to have these conversations today. Yeah. To aid and answer some of our questions and our conversation today, we have Sam Juno, who is the Framework Implementation Lead at the APS Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Unit. Really looking forward to it. Let's dive right into it. Sam started her career in the APS as a graduate with the Department of Health in 2012. Sam was the assistant manager of the task force that led the development of the APS Mental Health Capability Framework, which forms the overarching architecture that APS agencies are using as a base to build their workforce's mental health capacity. Sam, thank you so much for giving up your time to join us on the show today. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. Sam is passionate about workplace mental health and well-being and ensuring that agencies have solid foundations to enable them to support staff, regardless of where they are at on the mental health continuum. Sam is a highly experienced HR practitioner and has managed graduate and entry-level programs in a range of agencies, uh, both social policy and operationally focused. Like most graduates, Sam relocated to Canberra to start her grad program. Uh, With this and also with her roles in supporting graduates, uh, she has a lot of first-hand experience of some of the challenges faced by graduates and how these can influence well-being. All of this she brings to her current role, and we'll be discussing some of her experiences in today's chat. 
Outside of work, Sam is enjoying a few months off from studying uh, and being out of lockdown, reconnecting with all the great things to do around Canberra, including the return of weekly pub trivia, local markets, and eating out. They all sound like great things. Uh, <laughs> Sam, before we begin, I want to understand what drew you to the topic of mental health and specifically what was your motivation for joining the Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Unit? Um, I've always been really interested in mental health and uh, psychology. I did psychology as my undergraduate at uni and I wasn't quite sure at the time if I wanted to think about the clinical or the organisational uh, pathways, but those were the two pathways in psych that I was most interested in. Uh, and my very first rotation at the Department of Health was actually in uh, their mental health division. So um, I guess I've always really been drawn to it as a field and found it quite interesting. I joined the APS Mental Health Capability Task Force uh, because I thought that it was a really great opportunity to marry up some of that existing study that I had in psychology, but also the HR experience that I'd developed over the eight or nine years, I think it was, before I, before I um, moved over. And it was really that opportunity to work on something that took a whole of APS lens. So one of the recommendations out of that project was to establish a unit and the opportunity for me to transition to the unit when that was established uh, was there. So I took it. Um, I really wanted to see what we tested, I guess, in practice in fruition, in reality. And so the unit was set up in June 2021. Can you tell us a bit of mm -hmm. the story behind the inception of the unit? So the unit was established following an extensive review into workforce mental health capability in the APS. So we had over 16,000 APS staff participate in the program, uh, and that's more than representing more than 100 agencies. So we analysed approximately 20,000 pieces of data and worked with key experts, which is what's led to the framework's development. So one of the core functions of the unit is to support agencies to align their practice to the framework, and that's what my team specifically within the unit does. So while the unit itself has only been around for about 12 months, it's the culmination of work that's been going on since late 2018. Travelling back in time, back to when you were a graduate, um, do you remember facing any sorts of difficulties or challenges during your time as a grad? And without having such resources back then, what kind of steps did you do to look after your mental health and well-being? So I relocated to Canberra, as you guys mentioned, uh, from the Gold Coast. And it was my first real career job. It was my first real full-time job. Uh, it was my first time having real money. Uh, so all of that, I guess, provides some challenges in itself. Uh, but it was also a brand new start. So I had made one friend at my assessment centre, and I think we connected for coffee once before we both moved to Canberra. Uh, and that was it. I knew no one here and had... Um, nothing more than memories of visiting Canberra with my family, all of which were quite positive, but didn't have any kind of social connections here. When I was starting out, um, like my flight got cancelled due to severe weather on the way here. So, you know, we were at the airport and I was supposed to be, you know, I had my whole life packed up into a suitcase. Um, Queensland was flooding because it does that all the time. And then uh, flight got cancelled. I ended up having to fly out of Brisbane or something the next day. And I was like, is this an omen? Should I uh, move or should I stay? Um, things did improve after the arrival piece. Uh, it, I did find not having meaningful connections really hard though. So I left a really large and a really varied group of friends behind on the Gold Coast. So some of them had been in my life for years. You had friends from school, from uni, 
uh, from different, you know, community groups or volunteering. So lots of different and your retail friends from working, you know, at Cotton On. Um, when you get into a grad program, everyone is the same and everyone is in the same sort of situation. Well, not everyone, but, you know, two-thirds of the ones that relocate certainly are. And it's just not the same when you're starting out with a new group of people. So whilst everyone was really lovely and I certainly made some fast friends, not having people that really understand the, the depth or the kind of history of you can be a bit draining. You know, why someone might respond to something a certain way or why you might feel a certain way about something, you kind of have to explain all of that from the get-go. I also found that a bit suffocating that all of your friends work in the same department as you or they're all graduates, uh, which was certainly my experience. <laughs> uh, and not having that kind of variety was, was um, yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a challenge, but to overcome that, I was really, I was really lucky. I had um, a buddy who was in my team that was from the cohort above me, uh, and so you know she would take me out and I'd meet some of her friends who were all also graduates, I think, from memory, but not from my cohort and a little bit removed and separated. You know, I, I, um, I think I went to the dawn service with them that first year in Canberra. You know, it was nice to have someone that was a little bit removed from what can be a bit, um, a bit clicky and a bit gossipy at times because everyone's sort of in everyone's business. Uh, everyone's, you know, spending lunch breaks together, doing things after work together, uh, going out on the weekends and exploring Canberra together as well. So I do think it's really important to have that opportunity if you can to make some friends that are outside of the bubble because, you know, you never know when you might meet them. I also found um, making links and connections to Canberra that were separate from work was really important. So you mentioned the pub trivia. We've been doing that every week for over 10 years now. Uh, started with the same kind of group of people. It's changed a little bit, but there's familiar faces that come in and out of that, uh, including when they come back to Canberra, having, you know, subsequently left and all the rest of it. We haven't all been going to the same pub or location for that time, but every week, you know, until COVID put a bit of a hold on it, we've been going um, together to kind of do something that's not work-related. Uh, if everything's tied to work, I found that when work could be a bit um, challenging or something was going on at work, having people that are outside of that to be able to talk to about it and be able to talk honestly and openly without worrying that, you know, someone might take that the wrong way or be a bit offended that you've said something about your work area or your manager or the department, a really kind of freeing and, and helpful thing and a necessary thing to have. Definitely a few things there that I could relate to as well. And I was just a recent grad two years ago. So things haven't um, changed all that much since your time. And um, yeah, it's definitely difficult uprooting your entire life and moving to Canberra. So quite relatable yeah. for maybe fellow grads like Callum. But um, I do salute you for leaving the beautiful weather of the Gold Coast and choosing to come to Canberra. That's a very brave decision you've made. Um, Thank you. Now that we do have the mental health and suicide prevention unit, how do you see that benefiting and making a difference in the life of the current graduates and graduates going ahead? So there are two key ways that the work that we're doing is really going to impact um, current and upcoming graduates. So the first relates to the system-wide transformation that we're trying to, that we are, well, that we are building. So this isn't around solutionising mental health or mental illness, but around making sure that our systems are robust so that if you become unwell within the system, we can support you back to recovery, however that looks for, for you. And that's a really, really important point because for a lot of people, um, 
you know, things happen outside of work and in your life that may cause you to have some mental health challenges or need that additional support and work can be a great place to access that. So the work that we're doing with agencies is to help them think about uh, things like designing work to minimise harm. Uh, So if you're going to go to an area that requires you to work with objectionable material, for example, or stuff that's really emotionally impactful, that, you know, that they've got access to the supports to to put in place around that position so that uh, it's not causing you an additional kind of element of harm, noting that that material will obviously be impactful. That's particularly... um, And this systems-based approach is particularly important when we think about the needs of our future workforce. As you may uh, know, rates of adolescent mental ill health are growing, and that is who is going to be the graduates of of the future, you know. So we need to really make sure that our systems are strong and that they're able to support people from all walks of life. So that's really, I guess, the, the first kind of key piece. The second is for those that are currently working in the APS. So whilst a lot of the work that we're doing is around supporting agencies at a system or an enterprise level, uh, which probably means that you wouldn't see it. So unless you actually worked in the space that was responsible for the mental health and wellbeing initiatives for your agency, you probably wouldn't really know it exists. But we've recently launched Compassionate Foundations, which is our suicide prevention e-learning suite. So that's a foundational Uh, e-learning training that's available to all APS staff through the APS Learn platform. It's very, very skills-based. It covers topics um, including looking after yourself, recognising distress, understanding some of the the factors that can contribute to suicidality. So it really gives current graduates or or recently graduated graduates um, an opportunity to upskill and better support their colleagues uh, and people in distress, uh, as I know um, many want to. Sam, your team uh, developed the Mental Health Capability Framework, uh, and for our listeners, we'll be putting the links to that in the show notes, and your team also supports the implementation of that framework. Since that framework was first implemented, uh, can you share what have been some of the best uh, practical implementations in agencies that you've seen? It's a phased implementation process that we're taking with agencies, and a lot of agencies are already doing some really great stuff in, in relation to mental health and wellbeing. But it's not necessarily been done in a coordinated way, which is which is what that framework is providing. So when things are not done in a coordinated way, they're at risk of being personality driven. And that means that if the personality responsible for them moves on, so may the program or initiative. The framework acts, I guess, as that top level um, piece that agencies can then map what they're doing to um, map what they're doing to improve mental health and well-being or or programs that relate to mental health and well-being to that framework and and have it as a bit of a guide so that it provides that coordination element. So we've got things like a maturity scale assessment that enables agencies to create comprehensive knowledge management systems of absolutely everything that they've got in relation to mental health and well-being um, and showing that how that maps against the framework and then being able to see Um, things like who owns a certain initiative or what governance is in place to underpin a certain initiative. So of those that we've um, commenced work with, we've seen a lot of improvements in things like governance and evaluation. So, for example, developing supports uh, around scope of practice for mental health champions, uh, evaluating employee assistance programs, building in cultural aspects or cultural elements around uh, culturally appropriate care into employee assistance programs as well. Uh, We've seen the appointment of SES mental health champions in some agencies and the coordination of events and activities that are designed to really reduce stigma, things like that. 
The maturity scale assessment and the forward working plan are those specific steps of the framework implementation that really encourage agencies to think practically about what they're doing in the mental health space. And what I mean by that is that we make the, you know, it's all positioned in a behaviourally anchored way. So, for example, some uh, agencies may have mental health strategies that are really vision-based and really aspirational. So it might be that we're going to reduce stigma. And whilst that is a really wonderful vision, what the maturity scale assessment and forward working plan do is get agencies to articulate the how. So what are you practically doing to reduce stigma or to meet that kind of vision or ambition? So is it by coordinating your significant events like Are You OK Day and World Suicide Prevention Day? Is it bringing in lived experience speakers? Is it having an SES share their story about how they manage their mental health and wellbeing? Um, Is it making sure that all of your policies use contemporary language in relation to mental health? So things like lived experience of mental illness or died by suicide. So really kind of breaking down the how and we're seeing some really good steps being taken by agencies in relation to some of those specific behaviours that they're going to implement. Sam, I want to ask about graduate mentors and we know that they can play a really key role in the well-being of grads throughout their rotations. Do you have any reflections for graduate mentors? Uh, what can they be doing to better support their grads? I think I think mentors certainly do have a role to play. Um, in my experience, there's certainly going to be others that will have a much bigger role to play in, in a graduate's mental health and wellbeing. Uh, most likely their friends, colleagues and supervisors before, before their mentors specifically, because generally those will be the people that have the most frequent contact with you and are therefore more likely to see a change in behaviour that may indicate that you're struggling or that you may need some additional support. They're often probably the first contact the graduate's going to feel comfortable reaching out to as well rather than their mentor who can often be a fair bit more senior um, and some of those sessions can be set up very much in the context of of you're there to talk about your career aspirations which um, may not always line up with feeling comfortable sharing about some personal challenges that you might be going through. But in saying that, there are certainly things that we can all do and that mentors can do as well to support the well-being of others uh, and to check in on how they're going. So, for example, creating a space where people feel comfortable sharing. Um, you can do that through role, model- role modelling, building positive team cultures. Uh, you can ask the question, how are you going? And be open to discussing the answer. Uh, So, for example, in our team, we have a standing agenda for team meetings every week that we have, and one of the items on that is wellbeing. So it's just built into the kind of BAU um, of that. But it's really important to be mindful that it can take time to build up trust uh, and to create that sort of environment where someone's going to feel comfortable talking to you and they don't have to talk to you. You know, as long as they're talking to someone, that's what really matters. If your mentor's making throwaway comments or uses stigmatising language about people in distress, I'd hope that they're not, but that's also probably not an environment that's going to make you feel safe raising some concerns that you have. Uh, So I'd encourage everyone to do the Compassionate Foundations e-learning. It's certainly been um, pitched to be suitable to all levels, but it can really give you some ideas on how to kind of build that compassionate LL, compassionate connection uh, to people and to give you some some of those skills to be able to ask a question or recognise signs of distress and know what to say or how to respond. I personally feel that even though we're moving in the right direction um, as a public service, definitely in leaps and bounds, I feel that mental health is still a topic that is um, 
addressed as a priority on specific days or in specific in environments or during specific events. And I think we're trying to move more towards that ongoing culture of just checking in 365 days a year, not having a particular day you need to be reminded to do that. So what sort of advice or suggestions do you have for graduates to make it a part of their everyday life? I think you're absolutely right. And and certainly what we're um, aiming to do and what we're, what we're trying to drive is is essentially a transformation or a cultural transformation piece where, you know, we're building a mental health and suicide prevention culture in the APS, but building a culture takes time and you're absolutely right. It can be kind of easy to to care on days that, you know, there's great branding and promotion about and everyone talks about it and then kind of forget or not check in on it the rest of the the rest of the year. For mental health, a lot of those events all uh, centre around September and October as well. So you can really bunch up with a whole lot of messaging and then, really spread it out across the rest of the year. But I guess um, I would say three kind of key practical tips that a graduate could do would be um, first to be mindful of your language. Uh, so that's really going to impact how comfortable someone feels speaking to you. So if you if you yourself are using things like, uh, oh, they're using the mental health card or, um, you know, I can't believe they've had to go off on stress leave, their job's not even that hard. Um, making kind of comments like that, just be really aware that someone who's struggling that hears you talking about it, even though you're probably not talking about it the way that you talk to your friend, it doesn't create a safe space for someone to then say, well, hey, actually, I'm really stressed and struggling and thinking of going to, you know, my doctor to talk about it. So really think about, um, really think about your language and think about how people interpret your language, which may be different to how you interpret it. The second, I would say, is put it on the agenda. If you've got team meetings, if you've got um, meetings with your supervisor, build it in. It might be a little bit awkward at first, but that can be how you can start to kind of create that culture within your team. Um, and then the third would be to, to start to know and understand what some of those early signs are just of, of distress or of someone maybe slipping down the mental health continuum are. So, you know, make sure that you are doing things like relevant training and building your capability. But if you're going to ask someone if they're okay, you know what to say or how to respond if they say no. Um, you know, if you're going to ask the question, I would suggest that we all have a really strong moral obligation to make sure that we're prepared for a response. Uh, that may not be known so that we don't jeopardise someone's help-seeking in future if they, you know, do want to. So those would probably be my kind of three three key things we could all um, do. But I would, um, I guess, the one caveat <laughs> with that is that it's not our job to diagnose um, the reason for people's distress or why, and we don't have a right to expect that people are going to feel comfortable talking to us about their own mental health and wellbeing. So, you know, we can we can think it's really important and we can be comfortable sharing. That's not going to be everyone's experience. You know, there's cultural differences, personal life differences, a whole range of reasons why some people are just not going to be comfortable doing with it. And it's not your business to know, just like it's not your business to know why someone's in a wheelchair, you know. You wouldn't ask that, but you might ask. I still find that we seem to think we have a right to know a little bit more, being like, oh, it must be, like, do you have depression? Like what it is. It's not, it's not your business, you know. Um, it's, I guess, important to understand our boundaries there and have a bit of respect for people and their experiences. Thank you so much for the conversation. I've really appreciated you sharing your experiences and your expertise on these topics. No worries at all. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, that was a really great interview and also really appreciated our conversation with Sam. Um, Yeah, just her reflections on her experience of 
uh, coming to a new city as a graduate and yeah I guess the the challenges that that was sort of um, yeah causing to I guess her own mental health and well-being and, and the ways and the strategies that she used to sort of yeah be I guess settling in and looking after her own mental health and well-being um, so yeah I really appreciated her sharing those reflections and yeah just encouraging um, everyone to be thinking yeah really carefully about sort of the the conversations that we have around are you okay Dan have a have really good and genuine and helpful conversations yeah absolutely um, love that Sam gave us some pointers which I think um, I always absorb pointers and tips a lot better so mindful language put it on the agenda and start to recognize the signs and the fourth one that I've added is that you don't always have to have somebody be willing to open up to you so also learn to respect people's space but have that courage to start those important conversations which I will and um, I hope I will um, make a resolution of doing it uh, year round and not just on our UK day. Just uh, a reminder about what's happening with our next episode because there's something really interesting happening there. We're going to be doing a grand cast Q&A and we're going to have a panel of current and ex-graduates answering questions that you, our listeners, have sent to us over the past couple of months. Uh, So if you have questions or even just some feedback or even guest suggestions, please feel free to let us know by writing to us at hello at gradcast.com.au. But as Krishna also said, thank you very much for listening to our episode today. And yeah, we hope that you tune in next time. Thank you. Thank you. Gradcast is produced by Content Group on Ngunnawal land in Canberra. It's supported by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation, CSC. Check us out online and we'll be back soon, wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.